podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Questo suono dal Sud America fino giù in Senegal, profumo d'Africa nella Nuova Guinea. La sentirai in Albania, che assomiglia a casa mia, riparte dal Belgio, arriva in Croazia, Slovacchia, Polonia e Romania. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli Worldwide Series. This is a series all about our fans. I'm convinced that we have the best fans in the world, so I wanted to give our fans all over the world a platform where they can tell their stories, and together we can continue to grow this amazing community. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for listening. Apologies if my voice sounds a little bit funny. I've been under the weather for a few days which is also why we didn't do a preview episode for the Genoa match. But as a result, we now have a Substack page. So I'll use that to post some written content every now and then if you want to check it out. Anyhow, we're heading back to the UK for today's episode. Today's guest is a former counselor in the UK, Ashley Pierce. Welcome to Fortinopoly. Hello, thanks for having me on. Uh, it's been a while to, to get a time sorted, so glad I can finally talk. Yeah, exactly. We've been going back and forth for a little while, but that's okay. We finally uh, connected and that's the most important thing. So we're going to talk all about Napoli's 3-0 win over Genoa on Sunday, which of course was Lorenzo Insigne's final match at the Maradona. As always, we always start these episodes with our guest story. So Ashley, how did you become a Napoli fan? So growing up in uh, England, um, Diego Maradona doesn't have the greatest of names in England for, for sort of obvious reasons from 1986, you know. So growing up, I was the first World Cup I really remember was, was 1994. So I was about 10 years old. And sort of, you know, in, in the build up to that, Maradona was coming back to the Argentina squad after sort of you know, his hiatus after leaving Napoli. And I was a kid like many others very interested in in football so I immersed myself in reading and looking at all the greats and things and I just noticed that everyone in England hated this guy <laughs> you know I, I completely understand <laughs> why from from what happened in, in 1986 but I, I you know from all the videos I could cobble together um, and I just thought wow this and still do you know wow this guy's amazing what he can do with the ball and you know I'd watch videos over and over again I'd get as much footage as I can there'd be sort of documentaries occasionally on, on English television and I'd sort of record them and re-watch them and, and lap them up. And then obviously you start reading around and his biography by, by Jimmy Burns, you know, fantastic book, one of the sort of first books I think I ever read from cover to cover. And at that time in England, which you know any of our English listeners I'm sure will remember, we had Italian football was on, was on Channel 4. Um, and if you didn't have satellite TV, which I didn't then, it was actually the only live game you could watch every weekend. So I sort of started to then check out Napoli's results on that. Sadly, you know, at that time, we weren't doing so well. So it would inevitably be Milan and Juventus on, on the live game on Sunday. But you'd get to see some highlights and bits and then sort of cobbled together. Sadly, Channel 4 then stopped showing it and it sort of disappeared off, off um, British TV screens for about 10 years, I think, maybe more. So there was sort of this wilderness period where you couldn't really watch it. We, we did still have a, a sort of a magazine called Football Italia where you could check. And obviously pre-internet days, I remember looking at this, this magazine when I think it was when Napoli got promoted from Serie C. Uh, and you, know, you had to, it sounds so odd now, but there wasn't a way of looking 
if you're from England, you couldn't buy Gazzetta Sport or something. So you just have to wait for this magazine to come out to see if your team had been promoted about three weeks ago. It's very, very odd. But And then really about Italian football came back onto sort of uh, British screens, I think about 2010. So around about then, really started to get back into it. And then the, the Novetsi, Hamsik, Cavani era was, was the first time that I was sort of really watching as much as I could. I was just after two of those had, had gone. I was, I was lucky enough to go over in 2013 to watch a game against um, Torino. So that, that's the, the only time I've been there. Anytime Napoli have been in England and I, I can watch, I've, I've been, I've seen them in the Europa League or UEFA Cup, whichever one it was at Swansea. I've seen them in the Champions League at, at Arsenal. Um, and now every, you know, every, every Napoli game, one of the conversations I had with you recently, we've got this very odd rule in England that you can't show games at three o'clock on a Saturday, whatever they are. So apart from the two previous games to Sundays, which kicked off at two, I think, our time, so British TV didn't show them, pretty much every every game, every weekend, that's the sort of one game I'll watch. Um, and I'm from Reading. I, I sort of support my hometown team. But I think in the last three, four, five years, Napoli have sort of replaced them far more in my... I've always sort of taken an eye on Napoli, but now they've sort of taken a uh, place of, of, of Reading in, in sort of my affections to my three-year-old children now will point to my my shirts and go, Daddy, Napoli, rather than anything else, which is really good. So if I, if I ask them what football team Daddy supports, they'll say Napoli rather than anything else. So, um, yeah, the last few years, it's been, you know, I'm sure we might touch on these bits. There's been some disappointments, but actually, if you look at the history of the club, it's been some incredible moments and you know and actually an incredibly sort of high point for the for the club in their history in the last sort of five years when I've really been supporting them so I feel I feel quite lucky for that yeah you know it's funny I was thinking about this the other day because obviously this season has been disappointing for for a lot of us in that it was a big missed opportunity to win the Scudetto but given this match against Genoa I saw people commenting today and over the weekend about how Napoli and Genoa were promoted together. I don't know if it was from Serie C to Serie B or from Serie B to Serie A. And you look back at that, it just gave me a good bit of perspective because we're sitting here complaining that we didn't win the Scudetto. And as a result of this loss, Genoa have been relegated. You know, you look at where the clubs have gone over the same 15-year period. I think that's something that made me feel a little bit better about the way this season has gone. I was smiling the whole time. People obviously can't see me, but I was smiling the whole time you told that story because I think it's it's amusing that, you know, an Englishman who supports Napoli because of Maradona when obviously, you know, there are a lot of Englishmen who probably despise uh, Maradona and the club to this day, obviously, for what happened in that World Cup match in uh, 86. But yeah, I think it's a fantastic story. And I also love that, you know, your kids are now identifying your favorite club as Napoli over for Reading. I imagine that's something that's probably unique for an English football fan that their favorite club is is a club that's not English, first of all, and, and certainly not from their hometown. Yeah, I, I, I would I presume so. One of one of my friends was was kind enough to buy them two little Napoli shirts when they're very young. So they've both got they've both got Napoli shirts and they and they recognize that they um they particularly like the, uh, we've got about 40 kits 
in the last couple of years, but the the spider web one. My, my son, especially, is obsessed with Spider Man, so he particularly likes the spider web Napoli shirt and just goes spider web. So, uh, yeah, and, and, and what you said a minute, I think the if you know, I've, I've, I listen to the, the pod every week and I completely get where some people are coming from in, in the, the frustration. And that's that's the thing, it is frustration, but you know, you've said a couple of times in the last couple of pods that if we hadn't have won those first eight games of the season, we this would have been seen as such a successful season. And, you know, it's not just that we've qualified for the Champions League, actually. I think there's two other things for it. It's finishing ahead of Juventus, which is always a bonus. And actually, it's finishing third, which takes out one of the layers, you know, the, the fourth team still have to go through a bit of, bit of qualifying. So, yeah, that if we sat down before the start of the season, we would have all taken this. Those first eight games sort of skewed us. And I completely get why I was like everyone else you know, sort of thought this could be our year and the other teams being slightly weaker. But I think if you take a step back, it's been another very successful season. Yeah, and I think most of our fans will come to that point as well. It may take some of us a little bit longer than others to get over that that heartbreak of not winning. But I think we all will come to that realization. And certainly we won't lose any fans, I don't think, <laughs> as a result of uh, how this season has gone All right, so that'll do for part one. In part two, we'll talk about all the tributes to Lorenzo Insigne. Welcome to part two of the Forza Napoli podcast. All right, so let's get to the game. As I mentioned, we won 3-0. We got goals from Victor Osman, Lorenzo Insigne, and Stanislav Lobotka. But really, the result itself was more of an afterthought. This day was all about Lorenzo Insigne. Depending on the platform you use, you may or may not have seen the opening ceremonies. I know for those uh, listeners in Canada where I'm from, if you're watching on Fubo, you didn't really get to see a whole lot of that. I happened to watch on the zone as well, so I, I got to see it there. Did you happen to catch the opening uh, ceremony, Ashley? Yes, I'm pretty similar to the one in Canada. The coverage started right on, on kickoff. They did show uh, a little bit of it at half time, so they, they did we did get to see sort of some of it, but not live. So and the commentators on, on BT Sport in England were pretty good at um, relaying what Insignia had said in his in his speech. So it wasn't a particularly long speech, but so the commentator did relay the, the, the whole speech. So uh, yeah, we got to see it at half time. Okay, so let me fill you in and and maybe some of the other listeners who didn't get to watch it on on some of the festivities because there was quite a bit. The speech was part of it, but if you watched on The Zone, the broadcast began with a a bit of a montage of Insignia goals and and they kind of overlaid quotes from some of his past coaches and teammates, uh, Paolo Cannavaro, Rafa Benitez, Marek Hamsik, Maurizio Sadi. they They all had a few words. Then we saw his teammates allow him to take the field for the warm-up on his own so normally what happens is they all kind of run out together and it was nice because they uh, and and I imagine the captain kind of leads that that run out onto the pitch and the teammates behind them just kind of faked it and then they stopped so he he kind of ran out on his own and then realized nobody was behind them so he had a little bit of a moment on his own there to receive the applause from the crowd so that was nice uh one of the curve unfurled a, a couple of banners that read your jersey weighed the most of all because it belonged to those who truly loved it. You wore it with flair, pride, and dignity. Be proud, son of this city. So there the the ultras were giving him a, a little bit of a, a heads up. And they also met with him, I believe, on Saturday. And, and they gave him a plaque and said some speeches and whatnot. So then there was the formal ceremony where Insignia's teammates made a guard of honor. And they greeted him individually. 
Insignia was followed by De Laurentiis, Giuntoli, and Spalletti, and he was greeted by his family at the end of the guard. And the club presented him with three gifts. The first was a jersey that was presented by uh, Ciro Mertens, and at the bottom of the jersey it read 433 appearances that enriched the Azzurri story with generosity and passion. Thank you, Captain. The second was presented by Koulibaly, and it was basically just a big collage of Insignia pictures. And then the third was a giant trophy <laughs> presented by De Laurentiis and Spalletti. And a few accounts had a laugh at that, including the ESPN official uh, football page. They kind of joked that, uh, amongst others, they weren't the only ones, but they kind of joked that the trophy was as big as Insignia himself, which I have to say was pretty funny, even if it was maybe a little bit rude. Um, and then Insignia gave that speech that you mentioned. I won't read the whole thing, but um, you can find it online if you want. There's translations out there. And he, he basically just thanked all of his teammates and the club and the fans and so on. I think Insignia probably shed a couple of tears as he did uh, when he read that speech as he did throughout the day. So those were the, the pre-match festivities. Let's move on to the tributes during the match. Actually, it looked like Insignia's teammates were doing everything they could to get him to score. Did you get that same impression watching the match? Yeah, the, I mean, the some of the, the decision-making was, you know, in the final third was, was, was pretty, pretty completely understandably, you know, if, if the... If there was anything on the game, you know, for, for us, I know there was for Genoa, if there's anything on the game, I think that might have been different. But um, yeah, there, there was an awful lot of trying to find him. And then when, you know, his, his usual trying to cut him from the left, he, he actually seemed to do it a lot less than usual yesterday. So especially during the second half, he kept dropping deeper and deeper to get the ball. And, you know, the, the, the commentators over here were sort of saying, oh, go on, just cut inside one more time and, and rifle it in your right foot. But he was sort of on the halfway line at points. It's like, that wasn't going to happen. I think in, in his desperation to get this, his second goal, he, he dropping further and further back. Um, yeah, so, yeah, there, there was a, a constant sort of trying to find him, which actually, I think, gets to about the 70th minute. He looked exhausted I think um you know emotionally but also he was, I think he was receiving the ball a lot you know this just go on go and do something so yeah I, th- I think everyone was was desperate to see him see him get a, another goal in that case yeah he nearly scored a tira judo in the first half after he uh, he played a little give and go with Mertens and Mertens did that clever back heel there was that ridiculous play he made in the in the first half along the byline where First, he touched the ball around Herti, and then he played a sombrero over Goldemez, but Sirigu stopped him from a tight angle, and then before the break, Merton set him up again for a volley, but he just missed the target on that one. So he was very involved in the first half, and even after that chance along the byline, we saw him trying to fire up the fans. Now, I'm curious to know what you think about Insigne's overall play in this match, because I'm of two minds of it. On one hand, I was happy to see him play well in his final match at the Maradona, but on the other hand, I couldn't help but wonder where was this passion and energy for the rest of the season? Yeah, I, to broaden the question slightly, I think uh, Insignia, you know, he, he deserves all the plaudits he's getting. And for, you know, for over a decade, he's been brilliant. And in certain seasons, he's been magnificent. But we're not losing that insignia over the course of the season. We're not, you know, all the, all the video highlights that the club have put out, great to see, great memories. We're not actually losing that insignia. We're losing we're losing the insignia of this season, which is far more akin to what you said. It's, it's quite a frustrating figure, often quite peripheral. So when we're talking about who might replace him, you know, again, I think the fans probably need to think we're not replacing insignia of 
Sarri era, we're replacing this Insigne who's been kind of on the fringes. You know, he's, he's not, he's, well, he scored the one goal from open play at Lazio. Is that it, I think? Um, I think two now. Two now. Yeah, oh, and Empoli, I think it was. Yeah, and Empoli, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so most of them have been from the penalty spot. He still provided assists, but, you know, he was always going to, for this game, you know, try and turn it on and, and show up. But yeah, the, the frustration of, could you have done that against Spezia at home? Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously he was more motivated for this match, but it goes to show that he does still have plenty to give if he's motivated. I think last season was one of his best seasons in his career, and it was under a coach whose strong suit is motivating his players. Mind you, I think that Laurentiis did exactly the opposite of motivating Insigne by dragging out the whole contract negotiation. So his poor season is not entirely on him. And I put some of the blame on Spalletti as well for a couple of reasons. The one thing everyone is frustrated with Spalletti about is that he didn't play Mertens in the 10 until it was too late at least. And we've seen how well Mertens has linked up with Osiman and his wingers over the past few matches. And then the other reason I blame Spalletti is because pretty much all of our wingers have had poor seasons, not just Insigne. But yeah, I think you're right. I think he's probably now past his prime and, and we shouldn't think of this as losing peak Insigne. It's like you said, we're losing Insigne from this season. Let's move on to his goal in the second half. Perhaps the biggest tribute on the day might have been from match official Michael Fabry, who allowed Insigne to retake the penalty. What did you think of that whole situation? I think the the sort of funniest bit of that was Di Lorenzo's reaction to, you know, just he kind of wanted to celebrate. He doesn't score very often. And then everyone else is sort of going, do we celebrate? Is this a happy moment? Because Insigne just got in a bit of, not a sulk, but, you know, obviously he was disappointed. So then, you know, then, then his, his face lit up which is bizarre. We've just scored a goal that's been disallowed, essentially, but his face lit up to go, oh, yeah, well, yeah, they, they, they were saying on the, on the on the British commentary, oh, perhaps there's been a bit of sentimentality there in the VAR room. Most I'm not sure that's that's true. It, Yeah, it, it was encroachment by us. Uh, it was Di Lorenzo, wasn't it? So, it, yeah, that is a valid reason to, to chalk it off, but it was just all very, very odd. And actually, you almost felt quite sorry for, for Di Lorenzo losing a goal and sort of almost being punished for wanting to go to the curva to celebrate. But Yeah, it was a very strange kind of moment. I mean, you know, it was probably one of the rare times that the home crowd will cheer for their own goal being disallowed. But obviously, everyone wanted Insigne to retake that penalty. Had the penalty not been retaken, it would have been his fifth miss from the spot and his second in as many matches. Now... The encroachment thing is a funny one because, I mean, you can probably spot encroachment on every penalty that's taken. So I think that's maybe why it was considered a little generous uh, from the officials. But you're right. I mean, there there was. I mean, when they showed the replay, to be honest, I thought Fabian had encroached more than Di Lorenzo because it was kind of hard to see Di Lorenzo on the opposite side where his feet were. But in either case, it was probably fine to to retake the penalty and it actually reminded me a bit of the penalty in the Juve Inter game albeit less controversial than in that one but in that match Hakan missed the penalty Inter scored on the rebound then the penalty was retaken for encroachment in that case by the opposing team's player I think it was Matthias to Licht and then Hakan scored on the second attempt what was unique about this one was again that you know the crowd cheered for their own goal being disallowed and then Insigne scored on the retake, which was his 11th goal of the season. As we mentioned, two of them from open play, so that's nine from the penalty spot. 
With that goal, he took sole possession of the title of second highest goal scorer in the history of the club. He was tied with Matic Hamsik on 121 goals, and now he's on 122. Insignia was taken off in the 88th minute. I saw quite a few people saying that Spalletti should have allowed Insignia to complete the match. I have my views on this, but I want to hear yours first. Do you think Spalletti was disrespecting Insignia in that situation? No, I don't know what exactly the, the sort of culture of it in in Italy is as much, but certainly in England, it's quite um, quite the done thing and quite the quite common thing to take the player off so they can do one last, you know, uh, sort of get appreciation from the crowd. I know, you know, they would they did the lap of honour afterwards. Um, you know, in England, they've even done it where I think John Terry got taken off the number of his shirt, whatever that was, after X minutes. You know, it was in the first half. So, no, I, I actually the English commentary they were going on. After about an hour, they they were saying, you know, any time one of our players warmed up, they were going, oh, is he about to be taken off? So I actually think Spalletti probably gave him longer than certainly would have got in England. And I think longer than, so that he actually, if you, if you, if this game wasn't the game it was where we didn't have anything on it, um, he looked really knackered, I think, at points. So after about 70 minutes, I think he, you know, the emotion and the fact he kept looking for the ball and they kept looking to give him the ball. Yeah, I, th- I think, um, no, I, I think it was was fine the, the way he handled that, actually. Yeah, I agree. It, it, it's actually exactly the same thing in Italy. This was actually another in-game tribute. It was, you know, you're effectively stopping the match to allow the players and the fans to to give him an ovation as he's walking off the pitch. And we saw how the staff and his, his teammates that were not on the pitch kind of all lined up and waited for him to come off so they could greet him. I don't think there was any uh, disrespect there. The final tribute was after the match, you mentioned sort of the lap of honor. That was, I guess, his curtain call there. Once again, the players showed their respect by following, but, a, you know, a good distance behind him, but following him. Of course, the ever oblivious Edo moved him himself to the front of the, the pack that was following Insignia, almost uh, sort of walking side by side with him. And at one point, the fans started tossing their scarves to him, which was a nice little gesture. I actually caught another nice moment watching this on the zone. After he gave his interview to the zone, he walked over to his wife uh, Jenny, who was waiting for him at the dugout, and they had a nice little embrace. But then, while they were hugging, Insignia's kind of looked up, and then he said something to his wife. I think he said, "Hang on a sec, I'll be right back." In Italian or Napolitan or however, and then he walks past the dugout and. The camera kind of panned over and you saw there were some stadium workers there in their orange vests. And I guess they must have had their phones out or or maybe they even called for him. I mean, you couldn't tell, but he went over and took some selfies with them. So I thought that was a nice little gesture. At that point, this stadium had pretty much cleared out. So for those people, they're probably not making a whole lot of money. I think that was a, a nice little touch for him there. So you couldn't ask for a more perfect day if you were Lorenzo Insigne now. It wasn't only Insigne's final match at the Maradona. If you didn't already know, you might not have realized that it was also Fauzi Gulam's final match at the Maradona. Do you think maybe the club snubbed Gulam a little bit there? Uh, yeah, I mean, it was always going to be Insigne's day. I, you know, I don't know if De Laurentiis was as annoyed because he's he's on that wage and he couldn't shift him in January. Uh, you, you can put, put it past him, but... Yeah, I mean, when he when he came on, he seemed pretty desperate to get up the pitch uh, and you know try and get a goal actually. But you know, I don't know if if privately anywhere in the club they did some kind of leaving for him. I hope so because he does deserve not the send off Insigne got, but he certainly deserved 
something. So I, I certainly hope at some point, it may be in, in private or just with the players, that the club did do something for him. So I think, yeah, just, just to let him walk away is hopefully not what the club's about. You would want some kind of, of, of tribute given to him. Yeah, I agree. I think they could have done something for him. I mean, he may not have been born in Napoli and he wasn't a, a Napoli youth player. And, you know, the club did basically pay him to do rehab over the last couple of seasons. But, you know, at his peak, he was one of the best left backs in the world. And in every interview I've read with people close to Gulam, they've always said what a great professional he is and, and just generally what a great person for him that, that he is. So, you know, I would have liked to see them do something. It would have been nice even if Insigne did a little bit something, maybe mentioned him in, in his speech, but he kind of uh, took all the glory for himself in, on the day, which is fine. I, we'll see. I mean, there's still one game left. It's it's an away match. So I'm not sure that they would do something you know, at Spezia, but like you said, hopefully they do something in private or online or whatever, and, and I think they probably will. So that will do for part two. In part three, we'll talk about the other two goals and a bit of a curious story about whistles in the stadium. Welcome to part three of the Forza Napoli podcast. So I want to talk about the other goals next, starting with Victor Osiman's 14th goal of the Serie campaign. Ashley, what did you make of that goal? I, I thought it was a sort of a, a classic, very well worked goal. I think up, up to that point, we for the last the previous sort of five or so minutes, we just started to get into the game. We, I think, we'd started really slowly. You know, Genoa hit the bar and actually they were clearly offside, but they you know they were on a couple of goals disallowed, um, and we hadn't really clicked into gear. And then the, the five minutes just before the goal, we just we started to sort of get a, a bit of rhythm, and. You, you know, mentioned earlier that our wingers haven't had great seasons, which I'm not sure any of them have. And it, it proved, helped to prove how important De Lorenzo is, not just at the back where, you know, when he was out for those few games, we sort of crumbled a little bit, had such a good defensive record. But, I mean, he wasn't closed down, so he had all the time in the world, but it was a fantastic cross to put that right in the correct area between the, the two Genoa centre-backs. For, for You know, and then if if that kind of cross is delivered... 10 times a game, Osterman will get dozens and dozens of goals each season. So I think that that's certainly a route that we need to use more. You know, better defences might have dealt with it better. But if, if we can put balls in like that, or if, if it's from Mario Ruiz, also a fantastic crosser, you know, I think that's, that is a route that we really need to use uh, more. So, yeah, that was, a, you know, another great header from Victor. But if he gets that kind of service, he'll be, he'll be getting north of 20 goals easily next season. Yeah, absolutely. No one in the league attacks the ball better than Victor does. That was his seventh goal of the season with his head, which is easily the most improved aspect of his game this season. I mentioned it was his 14th goal of the season. He did that in 26 appearances, and four of those appearances were only 26 minutes or less because he got sent off in the opening game of the season against Venezia. Then he had sort of two kind of recovery matches when he got back from injury. So if you do the math, Osman would have scored around 20 to 25 goals if he didn't miss 11 games due to injury or suspension. And every single one of those goals was scored from open play. We were awarded 14 penalty kicks this season. So if Osman didn't get hurt and if he took the penalties, as he does for Nigeria, he realistically could have scored 30 to 40 goals this season, which is really mind-boggling. You mentioned Giovanni Di Lorenzo. He picked up the assist on the goal last episode. I listed off a number of reasons why we didn't win the Scudetto and injuries was one of them. I'm tempted to make sort of a subcategory of that because I feel like 
Had we not lost either of Osaman or Di Lorenzo due to injury, we might still have won the Scudetto despite all of the other injuries. Do you think that's a fair statement? I actually think there are kind of three crunch points of the season. I, I still pinpoint one the last minute away at Inter, the first game we lost, where you know we went, we were 3-1 down and Mertens scored a fantastic goal to get back. And then in the last minute, Mertens had a chance, which nine times out of 10, he would have put in. And I think we'd won our first eight. To go unbeaten in nine, that would have been huge, I think, for their belief, which has always been this team's problem. You know, the belief, if, they, if they've got that draw, you know, that was one tiny bit. And then obviously the the Christmas bit, you know, there was the, the period just before, you know, the, the, the fixture at Christmas where we had those those home defeats. And even in those, we were unlucky. But there were periods, you know, that Napoli released the squad list the day before the game. I'd be patiently waiting for it to come up on, on Twitter. And you think, we've got 13 players left, you know. And then games in England were being, clubs were pulling out of games and the FA let them because they didn't have 20 fit players. We genuinely at points had, with Ossiman fit, we'd have a chance and, and we and we kind of did up to you know a couple of those the, the third bit being obviously the Empoli game was the one where it really crashed and that was but I think by that point the, the mentality had, the belief then and fully had, had, had gone but yeah the, the injury you know and even if you take the players that we've lost their equivalents at Inter or AC I don't think those two teams do the same either. Um, I know you could argue Zlatan's injured, but that Zlatan, they know, was never really going to be fit for the, the entire season. I think if you if you take out the same players that we've had out, you know, different side, I know, but Teo Hernandez's goal yesterday, you could argue he's more important than Di Lorenzo, but if he misses five key games, then... You could say Leao as the, yeah. the Osman player, right? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, the, the injuries, and, and for, the, for one of the, you know, it wasn't like... The, the 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 salary season where you know he we all know he only played about 14 players across the season and people we we did have 22 23 players that were good enough you know you could argue the merits of some not being quite good enough but broadly i think we had a replacement for every position a slight dip in quality obviously that's to be expected if they get injured but then we were just so unlucky and you, you know you can't argue that well, you can't start a season with 30 players just in case 10 of them get covid and injured so yeah and you know that adds to the frustration but hugely unlucky with injuries i think yeah and that third bit which is you know the the most recent uh, run of matches that we didn't win fiorentina roma and empoli di lorenzo didn't play in any of those matches which is kind of why i, I wonder had he not been hurt would it have been any different and and mostly for what he contributes in the attack. Now, we did score a couple against Fiorentina. We scored, obviously, a couple against Empoli. But our attack was really lacking in the Roma match. That was his fifth assist of the Serie A campaign, his seventh in all competitions. So I just wonder, you know, might he have made the difference in those ones? Who knows? He also won the penalty for the Insignia goal. And as we said, had the penalty not been retaken, he would have scored a goal himself. Let's move on to the final goal of the match, which was scored by Stanislav Lobotka. Actually, that was some run and finish by Lobotka there. Yeah, fantastic. And um, I think like many Napoli fans, one of my new favourite players from this season, you know, that we all think we all know he's the, he's the most improved player of this season. Even when he came on in this game, you know, Fabian has had a, a real tail off. There were points where, you know, Fabian had the, the best passing accuracy, the most goals from outside the box and all those stats. But whether that's because, you know, the motivation for the Scudetto had gone or, you know, looks like he's out of the club in, in the summer. But there's certainly been a, been a big drop off. But 
you know, you know, one of the things I've really liked about Napoli in the last few years that generally getting these things right is that, you know, yep, we're going to have to sign a replacement in terms of the squad. But if you were picking your first 11 now, I'd have Lobotka ahead of Fabian, I think. And if he can add what he did on Sunday, which is obviously what one of Fabian's biggest attributes is those you know, brilliant goals he, he scores from outside the box. But I don't know if they've worked on that in training, but if that's something Lobotka can do, you know, he's so good at receiving the ball from the defence. He's so good at spreading the play. But if he can add driving runs and scoring goals like that, then we've got a, a hell of a player on our hands and, and probably Fabian's replacement. Yeah, that was his first goal in Serie A. And I have to say, I was hoping he would pass the ball to Gulam because <laughs> like you said, Gulam was trying so desperately to score, but that was the next best thing. And I don't think anyone on this team deserved the goal more than Lobotka did. Followed closely probably by Angisa and maybe Mario Rui. I would say Mario Rui, but some people wouldn't. Lobotka took eight touches between the pass by Angisa inside our own half and the shot. And this might sound crazy, but that run was kind of peak Leo Messi. The way he was dribbling at full sprint, especially the five touches he made before the shot. It was just touch, 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 and then shot. And, you know... I never thought I would ever compare Stanislav Lobotka to peak Leo Messi, but I, there you have it. We just did it. So, all right. One last thing before we uh, we wrap up the pod, and it's the story about the whistles that I mentioned earlier. Did you see this one going around social media, Ashley? I've heard a bit of it from, from you just before, and from I'll let you explain before I, I give my, my opinion on, of it. Absolutely. So, For those of you who didn't see this story, there were numerous firsthand reports that while the Curva was chanting against De Laurentiis, whistle sounds suddenly started playing on the stadium speakers. So the suggestion is that someone, which I I say with the sort of inverted commas, played these whistling sounds to drown out the chants against De Laurentiis. Now, I did also see first-hand accounts from fans confirming that they were, in fact, whistling against a chance, so perhaps it was a combination. It certainly wouldn't surprise me if this was done by De Laurentiis and his people. I mean, Italian football owners are, are a very eccentric group, and frankly, they've done a lot worse than that. But, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's it's certainly something I could I could see him doing. Uh, I think we we all know that that is that is quite possibly. I, I suppose the logistics of it, he'd, he'd have to anticipate that was going to happen to get, you know, tell the people to do it. But again, I'm sure that is something that he would plan for, and then tell the stadium announcer to press play on it. <laughs> yeah, they're doing it. Press play, cancel it out. So, uh, yeah, like you said, for all his all his faults, all his merits, whichever sort of camp you're you're in, he'd certainly very very ego led and he's certainly going to be sensitive to those, those kind of things so um yeah it's just sort of a bit of a bit of a sideshow on on the big big day for Insignia really yeah it was and you know there were a few little things that you wonder if De Laurentiis was involved I mean one was that again that giant trophy was that kind of a, a done a little bit in jest you know there was also um our friend Anna sent me this picture of the two of them walking out because when they walked out for that ceremony, they walked out hand in hand, which is a very European thing, I guess you can say. And and the way De Laurentiis was holding Insigne's hand, De Laurentiis's hand was sort of on on the top, and, and it very much looked like kind of a father walking out his little child. <laughs> so, I, you know, I don't know if we're maybe uh, 
overanalyzing a little bit. It was a it's a very interesting photo. Maybe I'll post it online and and we can get people's thoughts on that. So yeah, I wouldn't be shocked if this was uh, somehow orchestrated by De Laurentiis, and it just added to what was already a very bizarre news week. The other story that made me scratch my head a little bit was um, a story reported by La Repubblica about the club having Victor Osman's social media passwords. And and then, you know, it's almost a non-story. It's like, okay, who cares, right? But then the club felt the need to post, you know, an official statement on this that they do not have Victor's passwords. Like, of all the things that we need to make statements about, that's, that's the one which was a, a sort of classic Lombardo move. So, yeah, we were, it was definitely a bit of an odd work week. Anyway, you know, unless you had anything else to add, Ashley, I, I think we could wrap it up there. No, that, yeah, very pleased to be here. Glad I, glad I could talk. Yeah, it was, it was a pleasure to have you, and uh, I look forward to having you back on uh, some point next season. You can find Ashley on Twitter at AshleyPierce84. You can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fisketti5, and you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Patreon at Forza Napoli Pod. Be sure to check out our Twitter page for our latest Napolitan song of the week. This week's song is La Mascara Chi Se Vo Bene. I've already featured La Mascara, so I don't have too much to say about the band. I just picked this song because it's my favorite track on their brand new album, which just released last week, so be sure to give that a listen. I'll be back in a few days to review our latest Primavera and Femenile matches. Both of those clubs played their final match of the season and both were fighting for survival. So there was plenty of drama there. But until next time, I'm Joe Fischetti, Forza Napoli Center. Podcast Network.